things early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with generation z with all the information that you'll need it's the jack and ollie show hello and welcome to the early careers podcast with myself ollie sidwell and me jack denton so today we're going to be talking about career coaching now, we have two esteemed guests with us. Uh, firstly, Leander Beale, who has been a careers uh, or early careers advisor for 15 years, working across many sectors. So a huge range of brands. So your Deloitte, Deutsche Bank, Accenture, National Grid, Keir Group, Grant Thornton, many companies uh, under your armory there. Uh, you're now self-employed and work for Gradcore, uh, also as a grad careers coach and invested as well. So we'll come to you in a sec, Leander, but I'll also introduce your co-partner here, Martin Edmondson, who is Chief Executive at Gradcore. So welcome both. How are you? Hi, good, thanks. Uh, welcome. So Martin, you, you started Gradcore almost two decades ago, and I think I've bumped into you at almost every conference um, <laughs> so for the last like, 10 years. We have, I feel like we always meet towards midnight at the ISE bar. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think, I think, uh, yeah, our, our organizations have sort of grown up in this sector about the same sort of time. And, uh, uh it's been, been a really interesting period. Yeah. So I set, uh, we had our origins in kind of regional graduate recruitment stuff and then, um, uh, yeah, based in, in Yorkshire. And then we, in 2010, uh, created the Gradcore brand. Uh, which was really all about working in two worlds. So spending about half our time in grad recruitment. So running graduate schemes for people, uh, outsource of grad recruitment stuff. And then the rest of our time working on employability strategy for universities. So helping them think through and enhance their employability offer. Yeah. Excellent. And Leander, so I think we first, I first, first, first met you at Grant Thornton, wasn't it? Yeah. A long time ago now. So I think you were a year into it, my placement. Um, and we organised one of the events with you guys. Um, we just introduced the internship programme, so it was our first year. Um, I think in the following years, we got awarded number one, which is very exciting. I think, yeah, there's so much hard work done in the background to create my placement, so it would be really nice to kind of partner with them, and I loved working with the interns there. So, yeah, I think we've kept in touch over the years. I've seen you uh, work with like, my apprenticeship, and I've worked in lots of different industries and different companies, so I've um, been able to partner with you guys one way or another. So, yeah, really interesting. Great. Well, yeah, so what we're going to talk about today then, what's the topic around career coaching? What's the, what's the setup here? We're going to be talking about career coaching, but it really all comes down to um, graduate outcomes, doesn't it? And um, how we can help um, influence the results so um, of course we know universities lead tables are very important and there's been the extension of um, the graduate outcomes to the 15 um, months and I guess the sort of crux of that is that universities um, lose some control in what they can do for um, their, their their students once they leave but before they have um, participated in the graduate outcomes survey and I guess that's kind of really where um, Gradcore and you know other services like uh, Martins can help um, career services. So it would be good to find out a little bit more about um, how that works and how that fits in at sort of macro level. So how does it work, Martin? <laughs> 
So um, really, the origins of us starting to think about sort of graduate career coaching and supporting people were really go back to the Delhi survey that was before Graduate Outcomes, so which was obviously the original thing that uh, measured you know, graduate destinations out of universities. And uh, so about six, seven years ago, we developed a, a small little idea called Safety Net. And the idea was to support cohorts of graduates in the period between graduation and when they were surveyed for their graduate job and really just providing a bit of additional resource for universities. Um, because often in that period, you know, university career services have got They've got a certain amount of resources, but they often can't necessarily stretch to supporting their graduates in a great deal of detail as well. And I think what's then happened is obviously a couple of years ago, we switched to this 15-month model of graduate outcomes under the new survey, uh, which created a much larger period of time after university where universities are obviously keen to influence the destinations of their graduates to make sure they're getting to graduate level jobs. Um, and so uh, we sort of ramped up that safety net offer really uh, with a wide range of universities across the country and, and effectively provide additional kind of capacity for the universities, to be honest. So it's not kind of replacing anything the university career services do. It's almost saying, well, look, you know, you guys are already pretty stretched delivering all the stuff you deliver for your students who are actually in the building or in, in the Zoom call, as it is at the moment. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you've got plenty on your plate with that. So, you know, what we can do is provide that additional capacity to support cohorts, but also particularly to support those that you know haven't got into a graduate level job at that point. So, you know, if they're, you know, six months out, it's January after graduating in the summer and they still aren't in a graduate level job or a positive destination, uh, what we'll do is we'll take a kind of cohort of graduates off the hands of the university, if you like. So anything from sort of 50 to 300 and then uh, assign them out to, um, you know, experienced recruiters, people like Leander, uh, and, and most of our coaches are from a kind of grad recruitment background rather than from, say, a careers guidance background, uh, with the idea being that it's much more about directly plugging them into the labor market uh, rather than having kind of reflective guidance sessions. Both those things have their place. Uh, but but this, this particular support is much more about, you know, really trying to channel people into graduate jobs, um, hopefully as quickly as possible, and hopefully before, you know, they get surveyed by, by good outcomes. That, that's kind of how it's come about, really, I suppose. And, yeah, uh, kind of uh, become a really important part of, of what we do. So there's a so the, so if I sort of understand it properly, um, once um, students graduate, a whole bunch of those um, enter the labour market and get graduate level jobs, and that's great. Um, but some people um, won't, and um, some of those people they're perfectly capable of getting a graduate um, level job, but they just need a, a bit of extra help. And, and I'm sure it's different for each individual, which I'm sure we'll come to. Um, they, but they just need a bit of extra help, and um, that's how career coaching can um, help people get from basically enter the labour market in the position they want to. And the benefit for a university is that um, they can um, have basically specialists with from a with a different skill set than that they would, you know, for the most part, um, have within their career service, and which is great because, you know, you, you're um, accessing different skill set. And then um, in, in addition to that, and kind of probably more in a more important way, is that you're more likely to perform better in the graduate outcome survey. Yeah, exactly that really. So so there's a situation where, you know, it's often, you know, a small, ultimately getting a small number of graduates converted into graduate level jobs can, can result in quite a decent jump in percentage terms for a, university and we know that universities are pretty closely packed together in the league tables 
Um, so when it comes to these things, so often, you know, moving a few percent in terms of your grads converted into ad level jobs or positive outcomes is, is uh, often quite significant in terms of um, gaining results. And obviously, you know, you'd hope that most of the employability development is done while someone is still a student, but we've also got to be realistic that sometimes, like we say, some people just need either that extra bit of help or, you know, in the last year, you know, to be fair to everybody, it's been a pretty, pretty horrendous labour market to graduate into. So, so people, you know, more graduates have needed a helping hand in the last year than ever before because of, uh, you know, the, you know, arguably the worst labour market people have graduated into for probably, you know, at the very least 15, 20 years. Not on yet, so. Do you think there's certain types of university that are more open to this sort of thing? So it might be that um, either based in particular regions or might be um, newer universities or older universities or whatever it might be. Um, well, we've worked with about probably 20 different universities on it, 20, 25 different universities on it over the last six, seven years. And, and there have been, you know, Russell Group, non-Russell Group, North, South, London, non-London. So at the moment, there's not an obvious sort of pattern of it. I think it's more to do with you know, the, the challenges that particular universities have about what and when they can resource things. I think what we're also seeing is in some cases, we've worked with the university to provide this graduate support during a period which they've then, gradually over that time, they've then resourced up additional people to support graduates. And then we kind of got out of the way because they, they built up their capacity. So it's almost like they can kind of use us as a more immediate source of support until they can maybe win the argument inside the university. Say, so well, actually, you know, we need to be, Funding this long term internally with more staff because actually you know you know it's a real a real challenge getting grads into in, into grad level work so you know but, but there's kind of different scenarios for different universities I think but um, but certainly it's been all sort of shapes and sizes really. Right. From a um, actual coaching perspective, Leander, what what do you do? What is involved and what what does what the students find most valuable? I'm sure there's so much to it, and I guess it differs per individual too as well, I guess. But yeah, talk us more about actually what happens practically. Yeah, so working with students, as we, you know, there's a variety of different elements. So uh, we usually put in contact with the students. They've actually signed up to the scheme. So there's some buy-in there initially, which is great to get their engagement. We'll have an initial discussion uh, and talk them through any assistance they would like if they have been able to actually uh, decide where they would like extra support, they can tell us, or we can discuss with them what options there are. And we can keep in contact with them for three to six months. So it's a long-term relationship with them, ideally. Uh, and we can usually have quite light touch points, so it might be once a week, even dropping them an email, uh, to actually having a, a full-on session discussing everything from their CV being reviewed to interview preparation, uh, so it can be quite varied. I think one of the one things I found being a coach is really it is giving that personal support. So kind of a, being a variety, you're a bit of a mentor, you're a sounding board, even helping um, kind of support them in their day-to-day kind of uh, well-being. Because last year with COVID and pandemic, mm. they were extremely stressed. They didn't know what to do, and it was really there giving them as much support as possible, trying to get them to really drive them job search, so having an action plan in place and actually trying to keep them to that plan. So kind of getting updates, kind of making sure that they were a bit driving forward to that, that search. So it's really interesting. How long does a typical intervention last with a with an individual uh, candidate? Is it kind of like one month, three months, six months? Like 
And yeah. how often so it really varies when they're going to get a job. So some of the students I worked with previously, they have put off looking for a job until they've finished their degree. So completely blank kind of uh, and starting from scratch to those who students who maybe have been looking for a long time, they're low motivation or they're finding a real issue maybe getting past the interview stage. So actually there's a shorter kind of relationship with them. So ideally we've had some great successes where those students go into roles quite quickly. So yeah, it really varies. Is it partly defined by the university in terms of um, uh, what kind of intervention they're looking for, whether it's, you know, like six weeks or whether like six months? Uh, no, typically with the universities, we'd, we'd set the uh, the parameters through, usually, as I say, typically from around around this time of year, so around the spring through to, say, August, September, when the survey takes place. So we, we would offer that provision for that whole period with a set of coaches, but the actual coaching time, as the end was saying, is much more dependent on how the grad then, you know, the grad might get a job after two weeks, in which case that particular grad has a very short spell of graduate career coaching. And <laughs> it's a great job there. And they're, and they're into a job. Others might others might go the whole period and still actually not have a job by the end of it. Obviously, you know, you don't, not everybody converts into a graduate job. It would be basically impossible to convert them all. Uh, but actually, the you know the part of it is... Again, a big thing at the moment, I think, is saying, well, it's it, it's primarily about results, but actually it's secondarily about, you know, the university being seen to really proactively support its graduates. You know, we, you know, at the moment, universities are being put under pressure around the value for their fees. And I think they want to be very visibly seen um, to be supporting their graduates, not not to be kind of letting them go out into a really tough labor market without additional, um, you know, support and value. Uh, from from the university, however, like whether that comes from you know us or from uh, staff in the university or a bit of both. So uh, so the duration really is more dependent on the grad, um, and um, you know we're we're there for that whole period, and we'll we'll continue to support them as much as we can. So, yeah. and in the end, are there particular things that um, commonly um, candidates need help with, or is it always different depending on the individual? Yeah, it really does vary. Um, we found some common themes, and the themes can be between universities or as such as last year, we had a lot of students who were doing part-time work and that just couldn't find the time when to make applications. And sometimes it was keeping those students held to accountability, so you give them deadlines even, uh, or you just be upskilling them. So potentially, worst-case scenario, they don't get a job within that six-month period but they've got the skills then to go on and still uh, kind of fulfil their job search and get a role. So, yeah, the variety is huge. And actually, all the students are going to be looking for different industries, different types of roles. So that's good. Uh, from my point of view, having those insights into different areas, you can be talking to somebody about retail or fashion to accountancy to banking. So really interesting from that point of view, uh, but students, uh, I think we kind of underestimate, actually. Sometimes they do find it challenging. They don't know where to go still to ask for information or they're not so forthcoming or, or confident, maybe, to ask for help. So it's just being there and actually maybe kind of offering that help all, all the way along. And from my point of view, once you do offer that help, they are really engaged in that process. So sometimes it's for, for the kind of the coach to actually maybe drive that forward quite, quite regularly. 
other students can be much more confident in their search and you only have to kind of give some light touch kind of support that so really varies. With, um, with the last year and everything happening and everything going more digital, a lot of assessments and selections gone more virtual at the same time. So what have you seen change in terms of how the students are finding that those, those changes, those innovations? Because from an employer perspective, a lot of these things are more efficient, um, more productive. Uh, so what are some things we hear? So what's the student perspective on it all? Yeah, I mean, actually worked with Gregor again to do some virtual assessment centres, some um, to practice and some I've worked outside of that on actual virtual assessment centres. Students really are varied. I think um, initially we thought students would be able to really be able to flex and adapt to it really quickly because their tech, their kind of that generation. Yeah. But we found actually some unusual elements like the fact that they don't like putting their camera on. They don't like being seen so much. So uh, trying to encourage them and try and um, teach them what is possible through Zoom or through whatever kind of technical um, application. And actually just getting them get that practice again, because it's different. Even for us as recruiters, for managers, etc., it's a new process for us. Um, and trying to get them to understand that you're kind of working together. And again, why you're running assessment centres? Why should we do that? Why? What's the purpose of that? But it's been really interesting. Um, and actually, I think initially, I, sometimes I can be quite cynical on these things with, with technology. But it's worked really well, and you can assess students really, uh, I think, quite robustly. Interesting. I'd agree with that. Well, I think that you know, obviously, cost has come down a lot because of virtual assessment centres ahead of in-person ones when you take out all the other costs and stuff. And actually, the, the validity of the assessments seem to be holding up pretty well. Like, you know, um, and I think as well, it creates a really then flexible model for doing employability development in universities using assessment centres as a, as a practice attribute development tool, as well as obviously for, you know, real-life recruitment. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, whilst we've all adjusted to that kind of way of working now, a lot of that is definitely going to stick around because it just so practically useful um even if we do in some cases go back to you know hiring out big old rooms <laughs> well because um, a lot of student feedback we hear is all they all love the face-to-face they get so much value out of it and i think we've said in many previous podcasts about the importance of having a real conversation with a real person and certainly when you're submitting a or doing maybe a video interview or doing any assessment you Doing it to a screen is so unnerving. I'm sure you must have found that with students this year. But with it being more effective, do you think it will continue to hold out that way? Or do you think there's certain maybe pockets or industries that may revert back to having more face-to-face because it suits them? I'm thinking maybe like hospitality, for example. I don't know. What's your take on that for the future? I mean, I, my, my gut would be that, that in a lot of cases, you know, a lot of recruiters are going to find it hard to get their budget back for the additional costs that comes with doing assessments and physically, you know, you, you kind of, your delivery costs end up being much of a muchness, whether you do it in person or virtually, but then, you know, with an in-person assessment center, you, you, you then lay, layer on all your room hire, your catering, your, you know, your travel and et cetera. And, and suddenly the, you know, the, the kind of supplementary costs rack up quite a bit. All of that's come out of the budgets now. And so 
people are going to have to be fighting for budget again. And I think there's going to be a question to be made about whether there's a, a business case for that in some sectors, exactly like you say, Ollie, to, to, to say, well, actually, yes, it does cost us more money to do that, but actually that in-person experience remains critical to us. We want, we don't feel we can fully evaluate them virtually. There's something about the role, particularly perhaps sales roles or things like that, where people are going to be heavily in person. You want to be able to kind of see that in person. You, yeah, you, you may well say, well, it still costs us a bit more to do them physically, but we'll get more out of that than we need. The kind of competencies we're looking for uh, will be more readily shown in that kind of way than you can see on a screen. So I think I think we'll end up with a mixed model. I mean, the, the latest ISE data that's just come out about it shows that, to be honest, the sector, the market is pretty undecided. Like almost everyone kind of answers. Yeah. yeah, either we don't know or we'll do a hybrid. But the phrase hybrid causes such a multitude of sins that mm. any of us really necessarily fully know what weighting that kind of will end up at. I suppose anecdotally, from my point of view, I've been speaking with some students um, and actually I've heard that they are going to face-to-face assessment centres. So there seems to be a move already. But then during the kind of COVID period, I've had some great experiences. One company did the whole of the recruitment process online, made the offer to the student and then got them to go into the office so that if they wanted, they can go in get to know the kind of environments and the people at the team. Uh, they were actually onboarded online, which is amazing. So they organised from really good inductions. And then that student uh, carried on working for at least a couple of months before they were moving into the workplace. So I think companies seem to have backed well to it. Um, but, yeah, it really varies. I think in, in any, all changes, whatever, whatever change it is, and where, um, it doesn't really matter. Kind of matter where your opinion falls on whether you think things are a good thing or a bad thing. There's always winners and losers. So some candidates will prefer um, one way, and others will prefer another way, and it will be advantageous to some candidates and be a bigger barrier to other candidates. So I think that will be the thing that's difficult is to um, identify the new the new people who are disadvantaged and provide them with the right support. It'll also depend on the employers. I think you have got companies who are maybe more traditional and they've become a lot more open-minded to people working for home recently, but still some of those companies will want to go to more traditional kind of environments. And I think, yeah, students will adapt to either. Um, it might be interesting going forward to see how kind of young people, how those students then change the environment. Going forward. I've worked in tech, tech companies and you can work from anywhere. Um, and that's the norm. So it will really be interesting going forward. Mm. Do you think it's about the, um, the skills? Because I'm sure the skills that employers are recruiting for are is changing and are changing. Um, and some of the skills that they used to find really beneficial, I'm sure might not be the ones that they have anymore. Yeah, I think you'll see. So I worked in a tech company. And those skills, those um, abilities, etc. They develop because the business, those employees and students, are driving the business forward. Whereas I think maybe you won't, you won't see it so much in different industries, but definitely in tech. I think, I think we had um, we run a, a sort of conference in October and had someone from uh, the OECD come along and talk about sort of future skills and what how they were changing around the world in terms of sort of post pandemic or you know what that influence has had. And one of the things they were talking about were things like 
people's sort of self-motivation, self-efficacy becoming increasingly important because if you're working a lot of the time, even if it's, say, three-quarters of the time on your own at home, you need to hire people who who can kind of self-drive, you know, that, that don't need uh, necessarily the, you know, to be kicked to the backside in the morning to start some work. You know, they, they, they will crack on and do things, but also, I guess, cope with that, have a certain sort of, I think, resilience, which has become an increasingly important competency keeps going up in importance in this context as well because again you need you haven't necessarily got the support networks immediately around you of an office that you might have so you're going to need to be reasonably resilient to kind of to be successful so i think those are the kind of particular skills i think that are growing growing in currency um and, and you know will continue to be really important mm. um sort of jumping back a little bit more um with the um kind of the uh, the, the careers coaching and this extension of careers services. I guess one thing, if any, if any university is listening, they're going to be asking the question is, um, how do we know it? How do we know it works? So how do we know it actually kind of helps us with what we're trying to do? Do you have any um, uh, any kind of case studies or anything like that, uh, Martin, or Linda, that you could talk through to help people understand that? Um, although it sounds brilliant, actually they're going to also get some real genuine ROI on that yeah I mean we, we were working with um, I mean very, the very first university we worked with on it was a Rust Group University and we, we, we with the conversion rate we had they moved 2% in their grad outcomes performance and that doesn't sound like very much uh, but actually where, where the Russell Group universities are they're so tightly packed together they're often all within 3 or 4 percentage points of each other that was actually that put them up 10 places um, that kind of cohort university so it, it, it often it's I don't know if it's kind of into that kind of marginal gains kind of territory, but it's that sort of uh, uh, sort of thing that that can be really quite quite beneficial because it's very targeted. It's not it's not trying to sort of spray and pray at the whole graduate cohort. It's like focusing in on the ones that you know need the help and, and putting additional resource um, that in in their direction. But but we also on a kind of monthly basis, just at a kind of granular level, you know, the university gets a report from us every month going look graduate by graduate, this is how they're progressing. And we, we give them various other markers as well around things like confidence and uh, work readiness and that kind of stuff so that they can kind of see whether their graduates are kind of developing, progressing, moving forward, even if they're not necessarily, you know, converting over the line into a graduate level job. So I think it's a mix of you know, hard outcomes that they're after, but also just generally seeing progress. Do you know what sort of impact moving up 10 places in the rankings would have in terms of applications for universities? Um, I, I don't know directly, but I, I, I suppose the um, if you look at the sort of um, competition that resides within universities, they're, they're very keen to make those moves. I think probably for a Russell Group University, in most cases, they're not necessarily massively struggling for applications. But yeah. in, in, in that context, they... Um, you know, I'm still always striving for better and better students. Uh, so, you know, any any advantage is, is helpful. Um, but also, I suppose, you know, universities at the end are reputational beasts. There's a kind of, yes, they, uh, yes, they often quite scathing about league tables, people in universities, <laughs> and with, with very good reason. But at the same time, also, you know, it's often one of the first things they check. So, you know, it, it, it's there's, there's definitely a competition, but also a sense of reputation being very, very important. And reputation is in part gathered by your status against your kids. So I think 
some of it is tangible things like yeah we've solid recruitment numbers and some of it is it's just about you know growth in in, in reputation to attract which also may help you attract other sources of funding or investment or you know r p as well because they're all part of the equation that make up lead there both also attract um, better teaching staff and research staff as well you know? um one question i have is do you think that um or maybe it already is the case um, some universities should start earlier in this sort of interventions perhaps in the summer holidays of the of the of your second year or penultimate year or that it is it that people perhaps start too late and they might actually have better results if they started earlier um well i think i think to to, to be fair i think i think universities increasingly are putting employability at the center of their strategies uh, it, it, you know, it's gone from being a kind of marginal sport 20 years ago to being a, you know, really mainstream thing of, of a lot of universities thinking and strategy. Now career services are central to that. And they're working really hard on on provision for their, you know, for the students who are, you know, there and studying right now. As Leander said earlier, you know, there's some some students though just, you know, don't look at it, don't touch it. Just they're like, I'm here to study. They don't necessarily get that that's something they should be developing at university. And so they only start to think about it right at the end, in which case you're going to need to support them at that point. Um, so almost almost even though the university may well have done a lot, put on a lot of provision, some of them just haven't either touched. Or, or to be fair, in some cases, you know, I think some of this is as well as a, a social mobility challenge as well, particularly in terms of people who just, you know, they have their like confident social capital and they just need a lot of support all the way through university and then afterwards to, to kind of fulfill it. I think as well with uh, coaching of these students, uh, it's actually not just graduates, so it might be useful for students who are looking for internships, so universities might want to consider it earlier. I'm doing some coaching actually um, with students from 12 upwards, so with apprenticeships on offer as well, actually uh, there's that need throughout, and I think students, young people are really driving that. Um, they're obviously seeing that there are gaps in, in knowledge. So it's helpful, I think, for a, quite a, a wide range of age groups. Mm. Do, you, do you find that uh, younger students uh, require different types of help than those who those are graduating? I'm sure there's much more like pastoral care that comes into it too. Absolutely. They're so switched on. Uh, a lot of the students are really knowledgeable. Um, but it can be really difficult. So even I've worked with uh, recruiters or managers, directors, uh, children, and you would think that they had some great support networks, etc. that quite knowledgeable about the recruitment processes, etc. But things have changed so rapidly. So apprenticeships, they've changed quite recently. And people, you know, older people who are in that support network, they don't have the information to hand. Potentially, schools don't have the careers advisors that have that in-depth knowledge. So, yeah, I think uh, students of uh, quite a young age can really benefit from that as well. Is there um, is anything that um, we haven't asked yet that you think we should have asked you? Oh, um, interesting. So I think probably the main point of view that I come from as a careers coach, I have worked with lots of different industries, different companies at different kind of stages of recruitment. 
And the, the main thing for me is I love working with students and I've always seen things from their point of view. Mm-hmm. And I really find it tough because we can get really cynical from a recruiter's, recruiter's point of view or a university point of view. But they have amazing challenges. They still don't know where to start in their search. Some of them have got so many challenges available uh, to them on a personal level. So I think from my point of view, it's, it's great to be able to offer that assistance, be it through with grad or through the universities, but they still do need that support. And that's really important to be able to offer that. Yeah, I think, I think the only thing I feel on that is that we, you know, we, as an organisation, we, we originally set up as a social enterprise with a goal around levelling the playing field in graduate recruitment, creating a situation where, you know, anybody could be equipped to get the graduate job they wanted to get. And um, I think a big part of why we do this is that, that often the graduates we're given to support are the ones who need the most help. And I think that's the, that's the key thing really is that additionally universities and universities are increasingly do this and, and, you know, through different funding angles within universities as well and, and how funding is now directed through the office of students. There's an increasing emphasis on not just having kind of blanket coverage, but, you know, also additional support for those with low social capital who don't come pre-built with all those networks that, that at the end we're talking about that need, you know, need a pretty directive and strong uh, support to to access the graduate level jobs that their potential of, uh, their potential kind of merits. So it, it, that's a big thing for us in why we do it as well as, you know, yeah, fine. We, you know, it's something we work on, we get paid to do, but actually, you know, we do it because actually we think it makes a difference as well. Ooh, what a lovely note to end on. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lovely to hear because that, that's, okay, that's why all of us are doing what we're doing, I guess, because we're all uh, there to support those who need it most. And it's, it's lovely to hear that journey that you've you've been on. Um, and I think that sort of unites it all. I think hopefully everyone listening will you know, understand more about it from a coaching perspective as to how it works and the importance of it. And it's certainly something, as you said at the start, almost bringing us back to the at the start around graduate outcomes extending to 15 months like universities are finding this increasingly important uh, as a way of supporting their students not only from a duty of care perspective but also from uh, the tables perspective and things that are really important to them and making sure that students are leaving their university really well equipped uh, to enter the labour market and um, if anyone would like to find out more uh, about the services that GradCore offer or Leander offers you'll be able to find them in the links underneath the podcast on the on the website. So thank you very much for coming on the show, Leander and Martin. Really appreciate that. Um, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I've been Jack. And I've been Ollie. And that is the Early Careers Podcast. See you next time. Bye. For all things early career recruitment. The strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.